Hi, this is Quinn Wynn and Jesse Chu, co-founders of Paper Talk. Welcome to season five. We're here to share our paper flower journey, engage with makers and artists, and support other female entrepreneurs. Follow along as we give a voice to and nurture a community of paper florists from around the world. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Paper Talk. Today, we have Jana willoughby Lore with us of Papercraft Miracles. She is out of Buffalo, New York, so pretty close to me, actually, just like an hour or two drive away, but we're meeting virtually for the first time. So hello, Jana. Hi, Jana. <laughs> so, so nice to meet you. I know, we're so excited. I mean, like you have been so vocal in our Facebook community group. It's really hard not to notice you. <laughs> yes. And you've been we so helpful. <laughs> you like share everything you know, um, and you've done a lot. So this is why we were like, we have to have you on. Obviously, most recently with your television appearance, we were Yay! like, wow, this girl <laughs> is rocking it. <laughs> so Jonna, tell us a little bit about your paper flower journey. How did you get started? How did you find your why? Why are you doing it? I'm going to try and make the long story way shorter because I initially started doing paper crafting as a business. I started my company, Papercraft Miracles, when I was in college at a 20-year-old college student. And I mainly learned how to make handmade paper and hand-bound books. And that's what I went to school for. And I did entrepreneurial business and creative art integrated together as one major with the sole purpose of starting a business to make magical things out of paper that make people happy for the rest of my life. Um, Because I wanted to be an artist and I didn't want to be a starving artist because that's terrible. (laughs) So fast forward a bunch of years after graduating and coming back home and little by little kind of running my company on the side and just making things for craft shows and whatever. I eventually had my first son and quit my full-time jobby job because they didn't pay me enough to pay for healthcare and daycare at the same time. So I stayed home with him. And as my husband said, I could just stay home and do my book thing. And I ended up revamping my website and kind of really throwing my all into growing my company like I'd wanted to do for 15 years before that. And one day somebody emailed me. I got a lot of random emails from people saying, can you make this weird thing? I love that. Somebody somebody emailed me and said, I saw these paper flowers on Etsy, but I want to shop locally. Is that something that you do? And because I'm like the grandiose BS or known to man, I was like, totally. I'd never made paper flowers before in my life, but I'd made hundreds of millions of other things out of paper. I was like, I could figure that out. And so I started learning how to make paper flowers and I started with the text weight shimmery paper and ended up on Leah Griffith's website and did some of her classes. I was like, oh, I could do this. I got this in my wheelhouse now. (laughs) And I actually never ended up making flowers for that person. They didn't like my, (laughs) they thought my prices (laughs) were too high. Um, But even that, I was like, I will not stoop to paying myself slave wages to make make art for people. But it totally took off and I loved doing it. And I started making all these different flowers and making hair clips and bouquets. And then people started hiring me to make them for weddings. And then in 2019, I had an assistant who was like, I know you've been avoiding starting to make crepe paper flowers because these other ones are, you can cut them out with the machine and it's easier, easier, quote unquote, right? (laughs) But she's like, we should just try it. We should just try and make them because I think it would be really fun. And look how real they are. And so she convinced me that it would be, we could figure out a way to make it profitable if we started learning how to do it. So we started making lots of crepe paper flowers together and figured out which ones right away, pretty much which ones were worth making and which ones was like, no, 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 you're not going to get those unless you pay me a billion dollars. (laughs) Hydrangeas. <laughs> so many petals. Um, yeah, too many petals. Too many petals to cut out by hand. It's just crazy. So yeah, I started doing them like a lot of crepe paper flowers in 2019. And we made just tons of these huge sample bouquets and just wild things because I we had some cash from a grant that I won and gotten some bigger contracts and it was just the two of us. So we started really jamming out lots of different flowers and putting them out all over the place. And 
it just picked up from there. And the rest, as they say, is history. Wow. Well, you made it sound simple. (laughs) You made it sound so simple. And there it is. This is it. And I'm like thinking in my head, no, (laughs) your path probably wasn't that simple, especially making decisions about what products and when to hire an assistant and, you know, what types of projects to go for and what not, or what isn't business savvy. Those are decisions that can be very difficult to make and not everyone can make them as easily as you make it sound like, nope, (laughs) you know, a lot of us like try it. And then we're like in this hole. And then we realize that, wait, this isn't for us. But it sounds like your love for paper, like the medium itself, really guided the way in terms of what products to to offer, how you were going to shape your business and define your business. I noticed that you also do seed, is it seeded? Mm-hmm. Uh, seeded paper or seed bombs? Gosh. Yeah. Seed bombs. And you make those yeah. yourself too, right? Like everything's yep. handmade in your shop. Yeah, we have, that's kind of why I called it paper craft miracles because People are like, can, can you make this thing that I can't find anywhere? Yeah, all of our biggest kind of avenues, the different departments of Paper Craft Miracles came about because a client called and said, hey, I'm trying to find this and I can't find it. No one makes it. Can you make mm-hmm. that? I'm like, sure, whatever. Like, just throw it on the docket. Let's, let's, let's make it. <laughs> Figure out a way to do it better than somebody else can do it. And And, you know, it's not necessarily like find a way to do it cheaper. That's not my MO. It's like Mm -hmm. find a way to make whatever we're making in a way that is so special that people buy it for the experience of how it was made and the story behind it. And so, yeah, like we could make little round seed bombs that are plain. They're boring. We could make those all day long, Mm -hmm. but I don't want to. (laughs) Like I would much rather like make little owl seed bombs that have different colored feathers because we use different colors of pulp and like put them in the mold at the same time and you know like build different seed bombs that are an experience for someone to get as a gift when they open it and also an experience for them to plant in the ground and then have a garden you know so it's just as they they grabbed on the the discovery plus instagram channel they made a meme me after i was on the show (laughs) that says i'm extra i'm an extra person (laughs) Um, uh, it's so true (laughs) it's just so true you know like if there's a way to be like kind of overdoing it that's uh, I definitely put that at the forefront of a lot of my art making decisions I'm like how can we make this just so over the top that people are like how did they even make that that's impossible (laughs) that's kind of my my jam making the impossible but I think that you were saying it's hard for people to jump into making all those kind of business owner type decisions as an artist and I mean 100% I can say that it goes back to I went to college and I Mm -hmm. said I don't want to just go to art class and get out of college and have no idea how to make money as every Mm -hmm. other artist who went to school for art did yes (laughs) take a two credit class senior year that maybe tells you a little bit about how to pitch your art to a gallery owner Mm -hmm. and that's that being that I love paper art it's not a traditional type of art that you normally display often for money in an art gallery yeah. not like mm-hmm. being a painter you don't market it in the same way mm-hmm. and I was like I'm gonna have to figure out a different way to do this so I took all these business owner classes when I was like 19 20 21 years old so I learned how to work with different kinds of people I took social work classes to interact with people in different ways and figure out how to figure out what people are looking for and how to kind of tease out the idea that they're looking to have made and then Mm -hmm. figure out how to communicate with them in a way say this is what you want but here's what it's going to take and here's how much it's going to cost without people freaking out about it and running away and you know (laughs) kind of helping entrepreneurs yeah like helping people see that value in what you're selling to them yeah were your parents entrepreneurs is that where you learned to that so how did you get stumbled upon like I need to take these business courses to run my own business well, it's kind of funny. My, my mom was also a paper crafter as a hobby and was loved to do theater. And she sang in the church choir and she wrote poetry and she did all these creative things. And she never made like a single penny doing any of them. Mm-hmm. And, but that was what she really loved to do. But she had two kids and was a single mom and worked like five part-time jobs and just didn't have any of that 
um, salesman savvy to be able mm-hmm. to pitch herself as most, yeah. I would say a good 95% of artists are like that, that, For sure. you know, that capital A artist attitude of, oh, I'm just doing this. I love it. I don't deserve to be paid for it, whatever. And my dad is a scientist and he also loves to play music and he makes steel sculptures and stuff now that he's older, but he also never got to do any of the creative things that he loved for his job. Mm-hmm. And I was like, you know, I, I like when I was a kid, I remember my parents like having so much joy in doing these creative things and then getting up on Monday and going, oh, God, I know. <laughs> and I just yeah. remember being a kid and thinking, I don't care what I do as an adult, but I don't want to do that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't want to get up on Monday and go, that's like your life, your like yeah. whatever 95% of your life is yeah. working, right? And going to that job and waking up on Monday and dreading it. Right. Like, yeah. So I was like, well, I don't want to do that. And when I went away to college, I initially went there to be a poet. I'd been writing poetry since I was five years old and doing poetry slams and traveling around the country cool. and doing that kind of thing for a long time. And that's what I thought I was going to do. And I got to my college. It's this little tiny school in Asheville, North Carolina called Warren Wilson. It's a really awesome, amazing place. And as soon as I got there, there was just this creative energy and they had all these really cool classes I could sign up for. So I took these um, classes about paper making and learning how to do book binding and making artist books and doing fabric art and tie dye and batik and I took a class about Gandhi. I took a class about myths and searching for meaning in your life and all these things. I took those all my freshman year. And at the end of that year, I met with my advisor and I said, hey, these are all the classes I took. What major am I working for? (laughs) As like every naive 18-year-old says, 19-year-old, he goes, those are all electives, so nothing. But I was at school on a scholarship. My mom was super broke. And I was like, I can't do five years of school. I can't. Mm-hmm. And it's not an option for me. How can I make what I, you know, it feels so enriching and useful mm-hmm. and guiding for the rest of my life. Like, this is what I want to do. I know this is what I want to do. How do I make this into something that's valuable for mm-hmm. the rest of my college career? And instead of saying, oh, just major in communications and deal with it later or major in art and deal with it later, he said, well, what do you want to do? I said, I want to be an artist and I don't want to be broke. I want to use my creativity as as my career. (laughs) I have a lot of different outlets I do. I do poetry, I play music, I make things out of paper, I do collages, I do this, I do that or whatever. I want to do that Mm -hmm. out in the world and and that's how I want to get paid. He said, you should do that as your major. That and of course I look like yeah, what are you talking about? Yeah. (laughs) Hands down, you know, I wouldn't be who I am and were it not for my amazing college advisor, John Casey. Mm -hmm. He said, you know, you have an integrative studies major. You know what you want to do. You know that you want to be an artist and you want to learn how to make that profitable. Do that. Mm -hmm. Figure out how to do that. Design your own major and do it. So I did. Cool. Wow. I didn't even know that was possible, but that is really, really I didn't either. Thank God for him. Thank God. I would not be who I am today. I mean, so many things have happened to me during between when I turned 20 and when I turned 30 that were not easy to deal with. And my mom passed away while I was in college in my beginning of my junior year on Mm -hmm. Friday the 13th. Seriously. And I, my brother and I inherited a house here in Buffalo and I was going to school in North Carolina Yeah, and I was all of a sudden 20 years old. I was a, an adult. I had to deal mm-hmm. with this house that was falling apart five states away, trying mm-hmm. to go to college, trying to finish my, my crazy major that I'd made up that would never transfer. <laughs> <laughs> Just doing all those things and being an instant adult and yeah. having to deal with that. And then four months later on my mom's birthday, like the next birthday she would have had, my dorm burnt to the ground with all of my stuff in it. Oh, oh my gosh. God. Wow. <laughs> all of it. The day before the second semester of my junior year started. Holy I had to live. I had no stuff, no nothing. Yeah. And was expected to, you know, this is like Saturday night, 4 a.m. Yeah. Monday morning, I was supposed to get up and go to class oh, for the rest no. of the semester. In the middle of all of that, yeah. they cut my financial aid because I couldn't put my mom on my. Have to report anymore. 
had a year left to school to pay for, no way to pay for it, no stuff. My mom had just died. I had this house that was falling apart, had no money to fix it. Like, what am I going to do? I live five states away. And to deal with all of that, I lived in a motel with five other people in between a two room suite that the school paid for for a while. And then we ended up sucking it up and going to class. And because I had already started doing this major and I was really entrenched in being in the art studio and creating artwork and figuring out what I could do with it that was going to carry me for the rest of my life financially Mm -hmm. uh, and spiritually, emotionally in every way. And I started making all of these artist books about what I was dealing with, figuring out how to navigate trauma and finding the good and all of these horrible, crappy things that yeah. just have to be right in a row. Like, <laughs> where is the cancer in the bus that's coming to run me? <laughs> <I know. laughs> you know, that's yeah. just the next thing on the terrible Hollywood movie that is my life. Yeah. And I started making these books about my mom and dealing with all this trauma and being in a fire, like being in the building when it was on fire, oh all these God. things. And I started sharing these artist books with people and we've all had those grieving friends mm-hmm. and you're like, oh, they're there. This is awkward as crap. I don't know what to say to you. Yeah. Let me know if you need anything, eh. you know, like yeah. it's, it's an, an awkward thing to help mm-hmm. people do that. Yeah. And I had these books that said, hey, yes, my mom died, but here's who she was. And this is what our relationship meant to me. And here's how I am bringing something out into the world that's positive. She's Mm -hmm. gone, but I'm not. And my art is not. And I can tell you about all the things that she taught me about how to be a decent person out in the world. And Mm -hmm. I started sharing these books with people and other people would look at them and go through the experience of opening them and reading them and looking at them and they would cry. Mm -hmm. And they would say, wow, I didn't even know that I like had this stuff under there that I was not, (laughs) but now I know it's there and I'm now I'm dealing. Mm -hmm. And it like not only gave me an avenue to heal myself, Mm -hmm. but it was like out there healing other people and that connection and the storytelling and bringing people together and having face-to-face conversations with people about stuff that was not celebrities (laughs) and whatever. It was eye-opening for me to be like, wow, look at the power of making things and changing the way that people perceive the world forever. Yeah. What else is there? Yeah. So yes, I had all this horrible crap happen, but out of that, out of the literal ashes, like type of thing came this paper craft miracle that literally saved me when I had nothing. I totally understand the name of your business now. It's such a a big story. You Mm -hmm. should really be talking about that more. Because I think that's like, it's such an intriguing story. And your positive attitude is such a big thing. I'm really amazed at what you have built so far. I mean, it's, none of it's easy. People are like, oh, you're an entrepreneur. You get to be your own boss. You're like, yeah, great. I I know. Yes. (laughs) figure out how to claim paid family leave for myself (laughs) you're like but it's so worth it you know because it never it never occurs to me on Monday morning like oh I gotta go to work today yeah yeah Monday morning I drop my kid off at school (laughs) (laughs) get to go to my studio today and that's what I do all day long is be in my studio when they're at school and work on things that make people happy and help mm-hmm. people feel connected around the world to people they feel far from and help people yeah. say things they don't know how to say. Mm-hmm. And, you know, sometimes people are like, oh, how does the paper flower do that? You know, but you know, and you know, yes. because someone yeah. has called you and said, I have this experience that I'm trying to verbalize out into the world. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. you make this thing that makes that more than words gives me an avenue to start telling that story to people. And like, I had someone email me today and say, Hey, I lost my husband in 2020. And I'm trying to figure out a way to memorialize his cremation box. He worked in the desert with the Joshua trees in that park Mm -hmm. for like 30 years. Can you make 
those flowers. I'm like, you got it. You know what I mean? Like that that thing that people are like, I would love to see this happen, but I can't Mm -hmm. find it anywhere. Yeah. Yeah. And I make that stuff happen. You know, Mm -hmm. we do that kind of thing here and it's not just flowers. I mean, we make memory books for people. I made a memory book for a mom who had fostered a baby and he got sent back to his family and she wanted a way to remember the time where he was her baby. Mm-hmm. So I made that, book, you know, Aww. and just like those yeah. kind of things. I made a book of family photos from a woman's whole entire life that she was in hospice and her friend gave me all these photos. Said, can you make a book of all of these pictures so that while she's still alive, I can sit with her and she can tell me who they all are. And I can write down notes and we can give that book to her family. So they have it. Oh, that's so wonderful. That kind yeah. of stuff. And so yeah. like, it's for me, it's like, it's great if I get paid and I can take care of my kids <laughs> or whatever, but like, just, sure. that's not at all why I do it. You know, yeah. like, yes. yeah. I can be a part of making that happen. Yeah. That is, you know? no, that is amazing. What an honor too, for people yeah. to trust you with that and their story right and you interpreting that in a certain way that's amazing no I mean it, being an entrepreneur is tough entrepreneur is tough and I mean you have a baby on the way yeah, <laughs> I'm just thinking like how do you even do it right <laughs> like you were just talking about you you guys don't obviously have any kind of paid maternity leave at all uh, no matter where to be honest unless if you're on the payroll well in Canada in Canada maybe <laughs> not in the U.S. <laughs> definitely not. <laughs> your maternity leave policies are horrendous considering how wealthy your country is. Um, but yeah, how do you deal with that? Like, what's your plan? Do you have one? <laughs> I do have to like give huge kudos to my husband. He has made so much of this dream of mine mm-hmm. remotely possible. Mm-hmm. We bought the building that we live and I work in, in 2013 as like, a, here's all of our money. Please say yes. <laughs> Um, kind of Hail Mary type of thing uh, and it's worked out fantastically well and we have other commercial tenants so there's two women-owned businesses in the first floor and we live upstairs and he works full-time usually like leave 40 50 hours a week. and because of his income and our mm-hmm. tenants income even if I had no income, we could get by. We do have a lot of expenses owning a big commercial building, but yeah. you know, we've, we've figured out a way to make it work. Cause when I quit my full time with, with our kids, we knew that we were going to make the sacrifice to be on one income for a while, mm-hmm. while I was growing my company. So right. I didn't pay myself anything out of my company until mm-hmm. 2021. I invested every single dollar that I made back into it to grow it because I could. And I was like, I don't want to take out loans. I know mm-hmm. where I want this company to go. I want it to be huge, but I don't want to be in crazy amounts of debt yeah. to do that. Right. And so we got a huge contract in the beginning of 2021 to make half a million seed bombs. <laughs> That's a lot. <laughs> oh my God. It was crazy. And we had six weeks to do it too. Holy. Oh my wow. gosh. Um, it was, it was very insane. And it's a very long story. You can read about it on my website because it'll take like the rest of the podcast. But we made all of those seed bombs and it ended up being this huge windfall where I did nothing else but do that job for two months. But it gave me a really great financial leg up to start paying myself, mm-hmm. to hire some new staff members and take a good six months chunk to take time to train them how to do things that were not just make seed bombs, mm-hmm. which is relatively simple. So I'm tra- I've trained them how to make paper. I've trained them how to buy books. I've trained them how to make flowers. So during the bulk of my maternity leave, I've kind of set up some jobs, which is weird. They just sort of showed up, you know, like <laughs> three or four of them where we're making like additions, like a lot of the same thing. Mm-hmm. So they know how to do that. And for at least, you know, three or four weeks while I'm resting upstairs, because I live upstairs with the baby, they'll be down here, you know, filling those contracts for me, yeah, for us. That's wonderful. Um, and doing that. And if they have questions, like I'm right upstairs. Like, yeah, answer these emails, yeah. whatever. Yeah. Um, and so I'm really just, it's just amazing that it ended up happening like that, that we got yeah. this big job 
it gave me the time and the money and the energy to train them. So I wasn't planning on getting pregnant with this baby, but here I am. <laughs> yeah, and I'm really glad I wasn't pregnant with this baby when we were making half a million seed bombs. Yeah. Um, certainly would have been way more difficult to work 15 oh hours a day then. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if you love our podcast, please consider supporting us by hitting subscribe and writing us a review. And if you want to do a little more, consider making a donation on our website at www.papertalkpodcast.com. Every dollar of your gift goes into the making of this podcast. I just put it out there in the world that like... Yeah. I try not to be one of those, like, everything happens for a reason kind of person. Because, like, there's some really horrible stuff that happens out there. And there's, it's mm-hmm. really trying to convince people to do that toxic positivity. Like, oh, always find a good reason for everything that happens. No. No. That's mm-hmm. a load of crap. Sometimes people really <laughs> get the short end of the stick. Yes. <laughs> no, it's true. Yes. There's no good reason for it. And what are you going to say to that person? Like, oh, just yeah. walk up? Yeah. No, that's terrible. No. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But in the face of things that are awful, there's always going to be that day when something makes you laugh again. Yeah, that's so true. So like I, I started writing a book in college, which of course is not finished because story of my ADHD life. <laughs> but it was the epigraph of this book was, I don't want to forget how many times I've come back to life after so much of what seems like dying. Yeah. And like, it's that moment, like that reawakening that just reminds me that you never know what might happen because something else happened, good or bad. Yeah. yeah. You know, and it's like, it's true. You know, I got that crazy huge job and I woke up with a horrible panic attacks at four in the morning every day for like weeks on end while doing this job. Like, <laughs> yeah. oh my God, we're not going to get there. The contract's <laughs> going to be up and we're going to get sued and all this. Gonna get- <laughs> <laughs> so, but we so did it. Stress. Hold it off. Like the last possible day to put them on the truck. We put them on the truck. They were dry. We delivered them. It was great. They put them in piñatas and they gave them out at Lowe's all across the country. We did (laughs) it. Congratulations. Like I had no idea at the time. Like, yeah, I can't say no to this job. I don't know why I can't say no to this job, but I can't say no to it. But because that job happened, the stage that I'm at in my life right now, Mm -hmm. being on 40, having an unplanned third baby in the middle of a <laughs> pandemic while trying to continue the growth with my company. Like all of those things would have been so much harder if mm-hmm. I hadn't done that first. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. You never know like what, yeah. what might happen, you know, like, I, you it, know, I don't know. It sounds like you seize that opportunity. You know, yeah. it's always like you're ready. You've got the ability, you've got the skills, you got the people. It's just sometimes those opportunities come and you know, and you knew to take it. And mm-hmm. for some people, like they never take those opportunities. And so it never happens to them. But it sounds like that's what it is. Like when you guys were ready, it came. And it's amazing how that opportunity has really propelled your business and made things like, well, now, I guess, kind of like more smooth, right? You can plan ahead. You have bigger dreams. You can you feel like you can dream bigger. And amazing that you live just upstairs because for most new moms, I heard you say three to four weeks. I'm like three to four weeks <laughs> like of recovery. <laughs> like that's really hard if you're, if you have to actually go physically go somewhere into a studio to train people or to work with people or to just give them instructions. But you like having had that in foresight, I suppose, of making that investment earlier on and making it work. And it seems like now it's like a really good solution to what, to a grown family. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's, it's, it's a risk too. Gonna Not everyone's going to take it. Three to four weeks. <laughs> I think you are a problem solver. I think that's how you're able to get all these projects because in your head, you're like, oh, I can totally make it happen. And you go through all the steps to reach the end goal. And I think you're like, you're not a naysayer. You're like, I can do that. I can figure it out. And then you just hop into the hot pan and like, okay, we got this. I feel like that's, that's you. <laughs> yeah, I, I wholeheartedly agree. I mean, there's so many people out there in the world who spend their entire day trying to convince somebody else why they shouldn't do something that they think is possible. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
most of them are sitting in their mom's basement on Facebook and you know it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they're like, oh, the next done or whatever. <laughs> um, I'm not going to put it out there, but it's almost always men telling women that they can't do what they think they're going to yes. be able to do. Which, as women, we all know is Try <laughs> 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 not to swear. Yeah, um, <laughs> I definitely am one of those people who, when somebody comes up and says, hey, I have this crazy problem that I can't find a solution to. Hold on, there's a siren. Sorry. <laughs> okay. So I'm one of those people that has, like, somebody comes up to me with this crazy problem. Like, I'm trying to figure out how to do A, B, C, D, and E. And rather than beforehand think about all the ways that it's not going to work, I just, I'm like, okay, well, we could do this, we could do this, or we could do this. Here's a bunch of ways that it might work. Let's mm-hmm. jump in and see if any of those work. And you can easily figure out kind of right away if it's going to work and you got to continue that path or if it's not going to work and you got to go back to the drawing board. So I really try not to be that person that thinks of all the reasons why it's not going to work. My husband is one of those people. (laughs) Not in a bad way, but he's like a plan for the worst kind of guy. So he's like, if things go really badly, here's how we can make sure not to fall in the hole. And so he likes to have that devil's advocate, right? He comes up with an idea and he wants me to shoot a bunch of holes in it. So he can try to figure out all the stop gaps of what, what he, he can prepare for anything. And I don't do that. I'm like, I would rather deal with a problem when it comes up than think of a problem that doesn't exist before it exists. Cause I don't have time for that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Sounds like you guys are good balance. (laughs) Right. There's tricks in the ether were it not for him being so. (laughs) God, he's an amazing dad. I mean, I I couldn't do this. I couldn't do it the way that I'm doing it if he was not there and he was not as great of a dad as he is. I mean, he's just so involved with the kids, even though he works all the time, he does bedtime like five nights a week. Wow. Cause I'm tapped out and I'm not nice anymore. He's just great. He, you know, he does fun things with them when he's brushing their teeth and like makes it fun. I'm like, shut up. Brush your teeth. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, we're on the clock. <laughs> he like takes them That's out hiking and sledding and goes to the amusement park and goes to the zoo and like he's like hands-on dad Mm -hmm. so that I can go do this yeah and I never wanted to be a stay-at-home mom like there's obviously nothing wrong with being a stay-at-home mom because it's hard as hell to Mm -hmm. be a stay-at-home mom and nobody (laughs) talks about it enough but being a work-at-home mom is so much harder Mm -hmm. it's so much harder because you're expected to work really hard, do great at work, be a great mom, keep the house clean, do all the stuff, manage the household. Yeah. And then also make it profitable yeah. in like two days a week with no childcare. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yes. And they're like, yeah, have fun with that. How come you haven't been making progress, right? People are like, how do you do it all? And I'm like, you ask people for help. Yes. <laughs> you know, like you can't, you can't do it all. You can't. Yeah. One person. Never, even two people, like with just me and my husband, we could not do what we're doing right now were it not mm-hmm. for the help of friends and family and just yeah. having other for people sure. around. Like, yeah. if you look at if anyone's actually friends with me on Facebook, if you look at my Facebook feed, like throughout the last five years, I'd say maybe two, three times a week, there's a post from me saying, Hey, anybody <laughs> out there who's available, come play with my kids for a couple hours. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And, you know, I got mom friends who Mm -hmm. come over and bring their kids over and all the kids play together. And Mm -hmm. I've got awesome friends who come over and help me declutter my kitchen because I don't have headspace for that. And (laughs) I just got to know which which balls in life are glass and which ones are plastic. Like, I know Mm -hmm. other people have talked about that a lot. And and Mm -hmm. it's just so true. Like, some of that stuff, you just got to let it fall for a while. Mm -hmm. You have to. Because... But as long as you want to keep the things that are important going, you, you got to put your focus on that. Like, yes, multitasking is real. Women are good at it. Men are not good at it. It's just a thing. <laughs> but we so can still though. only multitask. So probably going to hear about it for that too. But. 
thing. Women can do it. Women can do multiple things at the same time and have their focus on them. But it's not easy. Yeah. And none of those things are going to get your full focus. When I first quit my job, mm-hmm. I wrote this blog post about quitting my job, all of a sudden becoming like this full-time work for myself person after doing what I loved as, as a side gig for like 12 years. And I felt like I was at the starting blocks of a super long marathon against myself and somebody pulled the gun and I just sat there. (laughs) Now what? Like I'm learning how to be a mom. I have this little eight month old baby at home and I don't know how to be home with him all day. I don't really know what I'm doing. I want to rebuild my website. I want to do this. I had these grandiose dreams. And I was like, how do I do any of that when I can't even leave the house? Yeah. Go anywhere. And this is pre-COVID. You know, I'm just going to start growing my Instagram. You know, mm-hmm. like for, for all, of, all of you stay at home, craft at home, work at home <laughs> mamas, because I know there's a lot of like, you listening to this podcast. <laughs> do that first. Start growing your social media, share your life with people and not just like, oh, look how beautiful it is. Look at the days I wore makeup. Look at this. Look at that. No. <laughs> My perfect life. People want to see you. They want to see mm-hmm. you trying to do a photo shoot and then your kids stealing all the flowers out of the background. You know, like, <laughs> They want to see where you thought you were going to get a lot done today. And then your kid is like sitting inside the dishwasher. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like that's the day you're having today. And yes, you know, be super real about the fact that you wash your hair like once a week because mm. <laughs> <laughs> it's worked really well for me to really be real and authentic with people and say, like, mm-hmm. this is the experience. Like, it's amazing. I wouldn't trade it for anything, but this is what it's really like. Yeah. You know, I yeah. try not to use a ton of filters and say, like, this is my real life. I have real wrinkles. <laughs> They're not all from smiling. <laughs> life is difficult, but in between all the difficult things, there's so much beautifulness. There's so yeah. much joy. And man, sure. scrolling my Instagram feed is amazing. Mm-hmm. You know, like seeing your work and seeing your work and all these just amazing artists and, and people who are changing the world and people posting about social justice and equity and inspiring each other left mm-hmm. and right and, and cheering each other on, even though they never met each other in real life, you know, yeah. like that's my favorite I'm all thing for having social media. Exactly. Like I'm all for having real friendships with people who mm-hmm. know in person and you speak to them and you have face-to-face conversations instead of just looking at your phone. Of course, yeah. that is <laughs> Part of the reason I started Papercraft Miracles in the first place because mm-hmm. it hadn't, it wasn't a thing then. Yeah. Everyone was on Live Journal when I started yeah. this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like dating yourself with, yeah. Totally dating myself. Like 2004, everyone's like, oh. ebooks just came out. Like the Kindle had just come out, evites had just come out, and everyone's mm-hmm. like, ever going to buy a paper invitation ever again because this is <laughs> no. and for a while it was it was like the new yeah. cool thing was that everything yeah. was digital and that people ended up once everything became digital like that I and mean, when I was in college nobody had a cell phone mm-hmm. especially mm-hmm. not a smartphone no and no I went to school way out in the mountains so like nobody had a tv in their room like really, <laughs> nobody was doing that like we weren't doing that during the day yeah or even at, at in the evening, you know, and we were sitting yeah. around a table or sitting around a campfire and we were talking to each other mm-hmm. and looking at each other in the face and singing songs and, and mm-hmm. interacting together and having those experiences that so many people who've grown up in the last 20 years don't have. Mm-hmm. And so it ended up around like 2014, 2015, that people were like, you know, evites are super impersonal and mm-hmm. I don't want that for my life. Yeah. And people were like, I could have a blog and I could just only journal online or whatever, but you know what? I don't remember what I talk about or I don't process things the same way unless I mm-hmm. do if I write it down on a piece of paper in a journal. Yeah. And so people really started to kind of backpedal on that. And they're like, it's not everything. For like sure. You can, social media is amazing. I could never have grown my business the way I did without it at home with kids. Yes. Like it's not possible. <laughs> amazing 
friendships with people I may never meet in real life across the globe, which is amazing. Mm -hmm. But there's just no substitute for having something tangible and real in your hands, touching it and hearing it and smelling it and feeling it and like all of those other senses that's not just looking at something on a screen. And I, for me, like that's the reason that I make physical things for people to buy and share with other people that they don't get to see as often as they want to and say, Hey, this was made with love, the love of my idea of what I wanted to be made, the love of the people who made it. And now the love of the person who has it and the love of all the people who they show it to and all the people who they talk about it it spreads. Yes. It fully spreads from, from just showing at your house. It inspires people. I think that's the wonderful thing about our craft is our art form is very shareable in a very stagnant and also physical way. I love that. Just like showing people that this thing has a story and mm-hmm. people who have a lot of people who've grown up in the last 20 years who feel awkward having a face to face. Yes. Don't yes. really know how to do that. <laughs> uh, like it's like an icebreaker you know like beautiful mm-hmm. art that has a story is a total icebreaker to get somebody to start ha- having a conversation and be mm-hmm, like hey yep. did you know this cool thing here's where it came from yeah. here's the story behind why it was made and all the people that it's affected so far what do you think about that mm-hmm. it gives people that space to open it up and we make really cool wedding invitations like we had a couple whose first date was at a pizza place. So we made invitations that had basil in them so they could say, check it out. This is where we come from. That's Aww. awesome. <laughs> it gives people that avenue to start yeah. having those conversations because a lot of people at the wedding probably had no idea how mm-hmm. they met. Mm-hmm. They got the yeah. invitation, they showed up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. you know, I, I love that about it. Yeah. Can There's we switch gears real quick? Yep. Can we uh, switch gear real quick? Can you tell us about how was your TV appearance and the show that you were in? I think people are so curious about the process and how you got on the show and the behind the scenes, like what happened that we don't know about the public. (laughs) So I am slightly limited on what I can share about the behind the scenes, but what's it called? What was it called? The show is called meet your makers showdown and it is streaming exclusively on discovery plus. So anyone who doesn't have cable can just go and sign up for Discovery Plus to get it and watch it, which is cool Mm because I don't have cable and I was glad I didn't have to get it just to see myself. (laughs) Uh, And Discovery Plus, I think, is only like five bucks a month. So, you know, it's one Starbucks coffee. You can do it. Mm -hmm. it. So the application came out and somebody in one of the paper flower groups that I'm in, it might even be your group. Somebody posted about it in the group, one of the groups that I'm in, and was like, hey, there's some really talented people in this group. Maybe one of you would like, you know, would want to do this. And because of my total hand bone personality, I was like, that is exactly what I want. <laughs> you know, like some people think about it. They're like, oh, my God, I could never be on TV. I'd be so nervous. I would do this or whatever. I, you know, don't want to travel. I don't want to anybody see me mess up on tv or whatever and i was like who cares i just want to share what i love with a lot of people at once and that's like the perfect way to do it and so the application came out i was right in the middle of doing that crazy seed bomb job where i was working like 15 hours a day <laughs> seven days a week for like months i saw my kids for like 40 minutes in the morning <laughs> oh my God. for like two months and in the middle of that, this application comes out and it's like 55 essay questions <laughs> about like oh, all of the different aspects of art and what tools do you like to use? And, you know, what is your studio space set up like? Can you work sitting? Can you work standing? Do you need specific crazy tools to do your things? Can you do amazing things that are big and huge in a couple of hours that look impressive? They want to kind of wheedle it down to like, can you do something cool on TV in a couple hours that is going to look good Mm -hmm. and you're actually going to be able, you know, to have a chance finishing it and putting it out there so it doesn't look terrible for the TV show. (laughs) Um, 
so they did, they had a lot of kind of questions like that. And then they, you know, they wanted to know what's your story and why do you do what you do? And so for me, like, that's like my wheelhouse is (laughs) my why is so prevalent in everything that I do. And I've been through so many things and the struggle is real. (laughs) (laughs) And I, like, I know how they put stuff on TV. Like they put, stories like mine on TV because they want the people watching the show to care about the people who are on it. Yeah, They want the people sure. watching it to say, oh man, I've been through some tough stuff too. Maybe I could follow my dreams. Maybe mm-hmm. I could be on TV someday. That's what they want. And yeah. I was like, that's what I want. I want <laughs> watching it at home to be like, yes, I'm going to quit my crap job that I hate and I'm going to start <laughs> doing what I love all the time and I'm going to figure it out. Yeah. Like, I'm not going to have a plan 100% of everything. I'm just going to do that. I do it because life is short. And in, in the grand scheme of life, that's For what sure. I was like, I got to do this. So I put all the questions in a Google Doc because I knew I would never be able to keep opening the application without it erasing everything. <laughs> <laughs> and every time I took a lunch break or a dinner break when I was working, which was like five, 10 minutes at a time on this job, I would come in my office and I would shut the door because there was. We did all the seat bomb making on the other side of the wall, which you can't see right now. And I would come in my office and I would shut the door and I would pull up my Google Doc and I would eat with one hand and I would type <laughs> the answers out with the other hand. And then when I was trying to go to sleep at night after I was trying to get my brain to shut off at like 2.30 in the morning after switching seat bombs from drying rack to drying rack and testing them out, and making sure we had 55 gallons of pump to start with at 7 a.m. so I could stay asleep until 10. <laughs> when I'm laying there in bed in the middle of the night on my phone, I pull open the Google Doc and I'd start answering some questions that I, the day that we had to deliver all those seed bombs was the day that the application was due. <laughs> of course. <laughs> of course it was. And so I was like, well, this is the end of the wire. My, we loaded the truck. In the morning, my husband drove the truck to Chicago. So I was home with the kids after doing this crazy job, trying wow. to finish this application. <laughs> kids are going crazy, and I'm typing the answers out. And the last part was to do a video and tell them a little bit about yourself and you know why you want to be on TV and why you would be a good contestant on the show and all these things. And I was so tired and so out of it. It was like 9 p.m. I was like, I just got to make this video. I didn't put any makeup on. I didn't even put this backdrop up. I was like, my office was disaster behind me and whatever. I was like, this is who I am. You're my kids running around upstairs, destroying my house. I'm 39 years old and I want to do this more than anything. It'd be really fun. (laughs) Fun on camera and I'm going to have a good time. I'm not going to come there because I want to win money. I'm just going to come there because I want to do it because I think it will be fun and worth it. And I sent it off and the producers ended up calling me a couple weeks later and they're like, yeah, this, this sounds really cool. And I started talking to them and telling them more about my story. And they're like, I wish I recorded that. I have goosebumps like hearing about why you do this. <laughs> this is so cool. And so they ended up picking me to be on the show. They flew us, they flew all of us artists out there uh, to LA, Hollywood. It was crazy. Ooh. But like, honestly, most of the recording process of doing a TV show, especially during COVID, is like quarantining, COVID testing, <laughs> sitting by yourself in a hotel room, eating fast food, and then working your butt off for a couple of days in a row. <laughs> more exhausted and more tired and more thirsty and more hungry than you've ever been in your life because they're like, just one more segment before we take a break or whatever. <laughs> you know, you gotta do this, that, oh, your hair is frizzy, smooth it down, you know, whatever. And then it's over and you go home. (laughs) They're really hush hush about things they tell you about the show or what it's going to be like and things like that. They really like to kind of have it all be a surprise. So I had no idea what the name of the show was or what, who any of the hosts were, the judges. The host was Christy Metz from This Is Us, which is so cool. (laughs) I try not to be like celebrity fangirling, but she's awesome. (laughs) And Leanne Rimes was one of the judges and Mark Montano, who's like the crafter god, right? (laughs) So just getting to be in the same room and and kind of get to know those people a little bit was really fun. But yeah, other than that, it was, it was exhausting. 
because I was already out in California my sister lives there and I never get to see her especially because COVID so I actually my husband was home with the kids for like 10 days I went and spent like six days doing the filming and quarantining and then I went and visited my sister for four or five days and then I Oh, nice. Nice. nice that what it ended off. <laughs> Less <Yeah>. exhausting. <laughs> you met us for yeah, days. It, it was just so much fun. It was really a lot of fun. And all of the artists who were on my episode, anyway, I'm pretty sure it's the same for the other art forms because the, sh- the way the show is set up is that each, there's six episodes and each episode focuses on a different art form. Mm-hmm. And they pick the best of the best, quote unquote, of the people who applied for it, right? It's not <laughs> whoever applied for it, they picked. The people they think would collaborate visually the best, mm-hmm. I think, is how they picked it. People who have fun stories, who are animated, it would make a good show. They pick those best people, and four of those people compete against each other. So they had stained glass, soap makers, polymer clay, paper crafters, fluid pouring, and I can't remember. There's six of them. And for all of us paper crafters, we just were like, can we have a reunion where we just get together and somebody like, actually get to make stuff together? And yeah, instead of competing, yeah, you know, like it was just so cool. And I don't know how those judges judged anything because paper art is so wide and so varied. I mean, mm-hmm. you're like, people make soap, they make soap, it's soap. Not yeah. that it's not beautiful and really difficult to do, but like in general, you're like, this soap looks cooler than that. So, but with paper crafting, it's like I'm making flowers and somebody else is making a huge dress and somebody else is making, you know, like a yeah. teeny little tiny paper cut thing with an exacto blade and it's all paper so art. So like how do you yeah. I don't know how yeah. they judged the judges actually said that that was the hardest part about our episode. <laughs> like of figuring course. out these are all amazing. How do we pick which one is the best? I don't know, you know. That's wonderful. <laughs> oh, sounds so exciting. Oh my gosh, I can't believe the hour has gone by so fast. So we usually end our episode with a question of how, because you are one busy woman. How do you find the time for yourself? And when you do find the time for yourself, how do you pamper yourself? How do you make your time to relax and to find yourself again? One of my favorite poets in the entire world, poet, activist, amazing individual, Sonia Renee Taylor. I asked her one day, like how she had this like seemingly unending will of or well of giving to give out into the world. And she said, I only give from my overflow. Mm-hmm. And it stuck with me. So to avoid burnout. <laughs> yeah, <it's> so important. <laughs> hot topic these days, you know, like, oh, should you go to the gym as self-care? And I'm like, no, that's health care cooking for yourself, cooking healthy food, doing you gotta you know, eat. <laughs> also healthcare, not self-care. If you want to try new recipes just because it's fun, that could be self-care, I guess. But in general, people equate things that normally would be like healthcare, like mm-hmm. going to a massage. That's healthcare. Like it, sh- it also makes you feel good, but like that shouldn't be an extra thing. <laughs> like, just the fact that you live in a body and you don't want to die soon. You know? like, <laughs> So for me, it's like, for a while I was like, oh, what is my self-care? Like I go, I would go get a massage or I, I go and do yoga. I love doing yoga. And COVID has made all of those things really difficult. But for me, like my number one favorite thing that I have to do or I get real squirrely is performing. Oh, uh, what kind of performing? Tell us about it. So my husband and I play in a band. Mm. And we have played this, this band since 2008. It's called Bloodthirsty Vegans, and I sing, nice. rap, and play the trumpet. <laughs> As my alter ego, MC Vendetta, it's really fun. That's um, so cool. And it combines like my love of sharing with people and interacting with people and being kind of showboaty. Like it's that's my extrovert tendency. Like I'm way more comfortable on a stage in front of a thousand people than I would be at a party with like 20 people where I'm Mm. not like up in front of them, you know, Mm -hmm. it's a lot easier for me to like command the attention of everyone than to like have a conversation with two people who I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) So I started doing poetry when I was really young 
as my way to kind of get out of my head and say, am I alone in this craziness that's happening in here? Does anybody else feel the same? You know? And I started going to open mics when I was about 12 years old. My mom made me go to open mics and perform poetry. And I was really lonely and super dorky at 12. I had <laughs> friends and got teased a lot at school. And it was, I got really bullied a lot when I was young for being that weird kid. <laughs> I was like real weird. You know? And I, she took me to this open mic and I read these poems and all, there was all adults in the audience, of course, because it wasn't like a kid's open mic back in the 90s. <laughs> People started clapping. And I was like, oh. that's pretty dope. it's real good you know like I'm reaching people they're hearing what I'm saying they're like oh that makes me feel something too now I don't feel alone that's awesome I'm I'm all for that Mm -hmm. and so just that that interaction of like giving myself out into the world and having that energy like accepted Mm -hmm. and then having people give it back like tenfold that fills my cup more than anything else so COVID has been very difficult, <laughs> very difficult. <laughs> Can't play. We played two shows in the last three years, one of which we all got exposed to COVID. <laughs> oh, no. So the only show we played indoors, we all got exposed of to course. it. Nobody got it. <laughs> quarantine with our families for like, you know, we all have kids. It's crazy. <laughs> um, I haven't really gotten to be, be able to do, go out and play music for a big audience. So uh, virtual open mics, actually. Cool. I've been doing virtual open mics. And just I'm finding a way, lot, right? I wrote a lot <laughs> yeah. of poetry in 2020. Like I had a lot of things that I hadn't been dealing with. Yeah. And, you know, nothing really kind of brings that stuff to the surface for me, like trauma, right? Mm-hmm. You know, like 2020 was very traumatic as far as like just, obviously for everyone, but just mm-hmm. changing the way that you look at what's normal mm-hmm. in the world forever. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Like BC yeah. is now before COVID. Like yeah. that's just, you know? yeah. and it just kind of opened this well for me. And I ended up starting to talk to a therapist and figuring out I had ADHD and like <laughs> dealing with all this, a lot of stuff that I had been like, oh, everything's great da, 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 for yeah. the last <laughs> 10 years. I kind of let it slide. And then I was like, I can't, I can't be letting that slide. Like it's affecting me. It's affecting my family and relationship with my husband and all these things. Cause I wasn't talking, I wasn't expressing and I wasn't doing that. And read a lot of wow. poetry share it with random strangers on the internet. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Also, also pedicures. Ah, uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure hearing you talk about your journey, your why. It's been Mm -hmm. really amazing. You are such a big personality and I hope a lot more people will follow you and get to know you more. Yeah. I hope once once I have this baby and yeah, I don't know about that, but once once my life is a little more, you know, predictable, I guess. Um, I'm going to get back to doing my podcast and I want to have both of you on it. Oh, we would would love to. Yeah, you have such a big person. I mean, in a good way, though. Like, Mm -hmm. it's been really interesting hearing about your story. I mean, before this, like, we obviously have really haven't really chatted. We haven't really gotten to know each other. Obviously, we see each other online and I see your work and I see you. I don't know if you can hear them. And your business growing. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, no, hearing your story has been really interesting. Answers a lot of my questions in my head. Where I'm like, you know, when you'll say something or you make a comment, I'm like, wow, she's really knowledgeable about that. Yeah. Or like, whoa, she's got a TV. <laughs> really cool. Like, how did that happen? But yeah, like your story really makes sense to me. You know, I love hearing people's stories. Like, it's so interesting because you look back and you see all these threads and you see like why somebody is the way they are. Like, you got to know where they came from, you know, what did they go through? Cause it explains a lot. And yeah, you can't, you are not the person who you're only the person you are because of your experiences, whether it's that, that university counselor or your mom or, you know, everything you've gone through. It's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, anyways, good for you. I mean, like in terms of your confidence and your strength, I, I think it's amazing that you knew what you wanted so early in life as well. A lot of 17, 18 year olds have they no idea whatsoever. 
So for you to kind of set yourself, set your foundation well, knowing like what you like, what skills and knowledge and experiences you'll need going into the world, like good for you. Honestly, at that age, I, we're around the same age. I'm 38. I was in a, a graphic design program. And the reason why I didn't go into fine arts was because I was like, well, you can't make any money. Like you're going to be starving artists. And that's what held me back from pursuing it well, to finish it <laughs> to finish my graphic design program because <laughs> I was like I can't make any money like people start off with like 15,000 a year like I can't buy nice bags and stuff but I mean you sound like you knew exactly what you wanted and you set the rules and you Love got it. there so like kudos to you it took me years <laughs> obviously <laughs> 38 but yeah no it's amazing thank you so much for sharing like being so frank and honest and sharing authentic really sharing your your story with us we're we're honored to hear it um yeah. to be on the other side of it too because I know it's not easy sharing some of the stuff too mm-hmm. yeah it's really a bucket list achievement for me being on your show <laughs> <laughs> we would love to thank you our listener and especially our patrons for supporting our podcast paper talk and for making season five possible Thank you.